0: Hey guys, it's good to see you here this morning, and uh, it is a it's an awesome weekend to be together. I know it's it's cold outside a little bit, but man, it's a uh, lot to celebrate this weekend. Anyone catch the Ohio State game yesterday? Watch oh, that was amazing, huh? I actually didn't see it. I was here at church with the rest of the people that love Jesus, and so we were there doing that. But uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so that was awesome. And then you know this I don't know if you guys know, but yesterday. We had hundreds and hundreds of kids here for Trunk or Treat yesterday, and so that was awesome just to be able to see uh, a bunch of people that have not been connected here at Grace uh, that were able to be there. Maybe you were there yesterday, and if this is your first time at Grace, we're so glad uh, that you're here with us today, so thanks for being here. And uh, and the other thing that we're really excited about this weekend is that today we're actually finishing um, a series that we've been in in the book of Amos. And so if you've been with us, you might know over the past eight weeks, uh, we've been journeying together through this incredible book in the Old Testament. Testament, uh, the book of Amos. We've been working through that together, and now today we're kind of coming to the close of this series. We're wrapping up kind of our study in this book, the book of Amos. And uh, I do just want to say that if you're a guest, I know you might just be catching us here at the end of this conversation, but man, I'm really glad you're here, and, and I'm, I'm thankful that you're able to be with us even though we are at the, the end of this study, because my hope is that even today, even though you're just catching the tail end of this, that maybe today will help you understand The significance and the importance of a book like Amos, and my hope is that maybe it'll even motivate you to go back and to uh, to kind of read the Book of Amos, and maybe even to watch the series. If you want to do that, you can watch all of our videos and all the podcasts. All of those are on our website, and those are for free. And you can you can kind of catch up on those if you want to. But but what we've been saying is this: is we've been saying the Book of Amos is honestly one of those books of the Bible that is oftentimes overlooked. Uh, Many people have never read the Book of Amos. We said that a lot of people don't even know their there is a book of Amos, and yet this book is really important. It's a strikingly relevant book, and uh, it is one that has a lot to say to us. And so my hope is that if you missed out on this series, that maybe you'll go back and check out Amos. My hope is that if you've been with us through this whole series, as we kind of conclude today, my hope is to kind of give us some takeaways. Uh, my hope is that we can kind of answer the question, okay, now that we've studied this book, well, like what do we walk away with? Right? What do we What do we need to walk away with from... Uh, from this series and from the book of Amos. so what we want to do is kind of add some closure to uh, this whole conversation. So I want to encourage you as we do that to go ahead and grab your Bibles, and I want to invite you to turn for one final time to the book of Amos. We're going to go to Amos chapter nine, 9. Is the final chapter in the book of Amos. That's what we're going to be uh, looking at as we kind of finish out this series here together. So, Amos 9, you go ahead and get your Bibles and get there. If you're a, a smartphone or tablet person, by the way, you can download our app if you want to. You can access the Bible through the Grace Church app. Uh, or if you want a physical copy of the Bible to use and you didn't bring your own, there should be some black Bibles underneath the chairs. Page 642 in those black Bibles is where you're going to find Amos chapter 9. So go ahead and get there. And then, uh, of course, let me just say that if you are a guest with us today and you do not own a physical copy of the Bible, we actually would really love for you to have one of those. And so you can grab one of our physical copies, make that a gift from us to you, take that home, and we think that would be really good. So Amos 9, hopefully you're there or you're getting there, you're finding your way there that's really good. And as you guys are flipping there, um, if you've been around here for a little while, you maybe have heard me tell some stories before about a really cool experience I had a few years ago. And so uh, it was uh, several years ago now I had this, this really neat opportunity. Uh, I got invited to go speak at a conference that was up in Alaska It was in a place called Soldotna, Alaska. Anyone ever hear of Soldotna, Alaska? I had never heard of it before. It's a couple hours, a couple of you have. It's a couple hours south of uh, Anchorage. Uh, But I got invited to go speak at this conference, and I was so excited because I had never been to Alaska. And so I was like, oh, man, this will be kind of cool. So I was scheduled uh, to give three or four talks at this conference, and then after I was done... I actually had a couple of days where I didn't have anywhere to be. I, I, I didn't. My, my plane left a couple of days after I was done, so I had some time. And I was so excited because I was like, man, I've never been to Alaska, and I want to see Alaska, and it'd be kind of cool. Now, the interesting thing is the time of the year that I was there was the dead of winter. And so it was January, right? And so they have the whole, the whole sunlight thing going on up there where they, don't, they have a limited amount of sunlight, and it was really cold. But I was like, it doesn't matter. It's Alaska. So I went... And uh, got done with my speaking engagements, and when I was done, I was uh, staying with a host home family. Now, there was a family that was part of the church that was connected with this conference, and they were hosting me at their house, and they were just some of the most hospitable people I ever met, some of the nicest people I'd ever met. And when I was done speaking, I remember they said, they said, okay, uh, you have a couple of days, we're like, "Can, can we go and show you some of Alaska? And I was like, yes, please, you know, show me, show me what there is to see. And so we drove around, and we saw some cool stuff, and uh, they showed me um, a couple of the glaciers and the glacier lakes, and I thought it was so cool. And the one thing that, they, that I thought was so fun that they had me do was they took me snow machining. And uh, if you've ever been to Alaska, you know that snow machining is the way that they, is what they call snowmobiles. We call them snowmobiles. And I thought it was so weird that they called them snow machines until I realized, well, you guys live in Alaska, so you can probably call it whatever you want to. Right? Yeah. You have more. You have more rights to name that machine than I do. And so I was like, I'll call it a snow machine. So I went snow machining with these guys, and um, and they took me out into the mountains of Soldatna, and I just got to tell you, I had so much fun. And if you if you guys know me, you know I love all things that are you know, like vehicle related. Like if it's an ATV or if it's a four wheel, if it has an engine and you can ride it, I pretty much love it. And so I, I've never been snow. Uh, machining before, snowmobiling, as so I was having a really good time doing it, but I was actually also really surprised, because it was way more difficult than I thought it was going to be, and, uh, and the snow was really, really, really thick, and on a snow machine, you have to like work to get that thing to go around stuff, and at some, some, some points, it gets buried, and you got to pick it back, you got to muscle it around a lot, and the crazy thing was, here I was in the dead of winter in Alaska, and I was dripping sweat as we were out in the wilderness doing the snow machining thing. And so they took me, I remember they took me over this mountain and uh, there was, the snow was really, really deep and we had to navigate around all of these little bushes that were everywhere. And so I would like, you know, kind of hit a bush and then have to like pick it up again and go around and it was really hard. And these guys, of course, were pros, right? They were just kind of weaving in and out of stuff and they were doing fine. I was, you know, getting stuck. and, And then I remember after we went over this mountain, we were going through this deep snow and there was bushes. All of a sudden, it opened up, and it was just this big field, and I was like, oh, this is going to be fun, and so we got down to the field, and we, sure enough, we just opened it up, opened the throttle up, and you could just go. We were going, you know, probably 45, 50 miles an hour. We were doing donuts. We were just having a blast, and I, I just had, I had so much fun, and so after about an hour of doing this, we took a break because it was kind of exhausting, and, and they were talking to me. My hosts were talking to me, and they said, um, they said hey, do you, you, you like this? I was like, oh, man. I was like, I love this. I'm in, I'm in heaven. This is, this is awesome. And I remember I said to him, I said, it's a little harder than I thought it was going to be, though. I said, so when we were up, I said, when we were up on the mountain and we were going through those bushes where the snow was real deep, I was like, that was really challenging. I said, I liked it a lot when we got to the field and we just, you know, we were able to just go straight. I loved that part. And I remember when I said that, they looked at me like I was an alien. And I was like, they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well. When we were up on the mountain, there was all those bushes, and we were like navigating through them. I said, I Remember we got to the field and we were able to open it up. That was so much fun. And they were like, You are from Ohio, aren't you? I was like, What? What, what did I do? What did I say? And they said, dude, those weren't they said those weren't bushes. Those were treetops. They said, There's so much snow accumulation. Those are the tops of trees. And then they said, that wasn't a field, that was a lake. And they said, and that lake is 550 feet deep. And I remember when they said, I don't know if you guys have ever had an experience like this. When they said that, I almost felt dizzy. Like for a moment, I was like disoriented. And I was like, whoa. And, and everything that I had just experienced, all of a sudden, the reality, the magnitude of what I just experienced like kind of dawned on me. And it blew my mind. And I remember it all at the same time, I was full of, I mean, the best way to say it is I was full of fear and awe. Like at the same time. And the only thing I could do was laugh. So they were like, those were treetops. And that lake was 550 feet deep. And I was just like, no, no way. I was like, that's nuts. And they're like, yeah. And, and I just, I remember I was just like, Everything that I was just thinking, the reality of the situation that I was just experiencing, it, it's bigger, it's more immense than I could even imagine. And, and I remember in that moment when I thought about the heights that I was riding on and the depths of what was below me, I, I gained, it was almost like a, a reverence for, Ala- I was like, Alaska is different than I thought it was. It is much bigger and much more um, expansive than I previously thought. And it was just this really cool experience. Now, here's the thing. I tell you that because if you can relate to that, if you've ever had that happen before, when you experience something that you thought was reality, and then all of a sudden you realize what the true reality was, and it was a disorienting feeling, I think if you can relate to that experience, you can understand a little bit of what I think the point and the meaning and the reason the book of Amos has been given to us. Uh, And and that's what I want to kind of conclude with. I want to conclude with what I believe the book of Amos is intending to do in our lives, why I believe God has given it to us, and how we can walk away changed as a result of it. And so there's really three things, I think, that the book of Amos, as we've been studying, I think there's three things the book of Amos is trying to do. And I just want to talk about them briefly. So here's the first thing. The first thing I think the book of Amos is trying to do as we think about this series and the, and, and the study is, is this. I think the book of Amos is trying to expose to us, it is intended to expose us to the immeasurable depths of our sin. Okay, so what is, what is the point of the book of Amos? What is the reason for the book of Amos? Well, one of the things that Amos is trying to accomplish is it's exposing to us the immeasurable depths of our sin. Uh, we, we say it this way at Grace sometimes. Amos is trying to tell us that sin is more serious than we think, and we are more messed up than we think we are. And that is not always an easy and comfortable message to hear. In fact, it's a very uncomfortable message, and it's a very unpopular message, which, by the way, is why this series has been a very uncomfortable and a very unpopular series, Why? Because the message is an uncomfortable and unpopular message. It's a message we don't always like to hear, but yet we see it all throughout Amos. In fact, if you were with us, if you're just joining us, what we said was, we said that Amos was a a book that was written about 2,700 years ago uh, by a guy named Amos. He was a prophet. And we said that he's writing to God's people, God's people who were called by God's name. And yet they had drifted dangerously far from where God desired them to be. They had drifted from God's heart. They had drifted from God's intentions. They had drifted from God's purposes for them. And they were completely unaware of it. And God sends Amos almost as a wake-up call to his people to help expose how far it is that they've actually drifted. And here's what we said. We said the book of Amos wasn't just written for God's people back then. We said the book of Amos is actually written for us today. It's, It's equally as relevant to us. And we said the book of Amos exposes us to the immeasurable depths of our sin, how far we often drift from the heart of God. And like I said, that's not always comfortable. It's not always easy to hear. It's not always a popular message. uh, I thought it was kind of funny. I was talking to Pastor Seth this past week, and, uh, and he said something about, we were talking about how the book of Amos is not the easiest book to read and how most people just prefer not to read it honestly. And we were talking about that, and I thought he said something was really insightful. He said, I think, he said, I think one of the reasons people don't like to read the book of Amos is he's, he said it doesn't follow your typical story arc. Okay, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with this term or not. There's a, there's actually a technical term. It's called a story arc or a narrative arc. If you've ever studied writing or if you've studied movie production, you might know that there is a, there is a typical story flow that every good story follows, Right? And it basically, I'll explain it this way, I'll draw it for you. So this is the story arc, okay? And basically, here's what it goes. Every good movie you've seen, every good book you've read, it always follows this arc. And here, here's the arc. Story begins, once upon a time. It establishes normal. So it, it introduces you to the characters. It says, once upon a time, there's a bunch of people, and this is what it looked like in their life. Right? That's how every story begins. And then, inevitably, every good story, there is going to be a critical moment When something happens, there's a critical event, uh, there's a problem, there's a drama, there's a tension, something happens, and that introduces, basically, the plot begins to, 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 to dive into action, into drama, into confusion, into there's some kind of trial that they're trying to figure out, something is happening in the movie, there's something that needs to be resolved, right? And then what happens inevitably in every good story is that there's a turning point, There's a point where the protagonist, you know, beats the bad guy, or the couple falls in love, or whatever the story is, and then everything begins to start to go back to a place where eventually everything returns back to normal, and everybody lives, tell me. Why do we all know that? Because that's every story. Every good story, every narrative follows that plot line to some degree. Or another. And I thought what Seth said was so good. He said, one of the reasons why we don't, uh, we don't like the book of Amos is because it doesn't follow this plot. In fact, if I could draw for you the plot line of the book of Amos, it would look more like this. <laughs> okay, so I mean, if you've been with us, this is Amos. First off, there is no, there is no establishing anything at the beginning. You're not introduced to any of the characters. You're not told what the circumstances are. Here's how the book of Amos begins. The Lord roars from Zion. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? What's happening? Why is God a lion? What's Zion? No idea. And you start reading it, and then progressively every chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, it increasingly gets worse. It goes down, 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 and then it's over—the end. (laughs) And you're like, "Wow!" In fact, I just want to let me just show you something real quick. I want to show you just a quick snapshot of every uh, every chapter in the Book of Amos. I'll just show you a quick picture. So, in Amos chapter one, verse two, here's how Amos starts. This is just a recap, right, for those of us who have been here for this series. This is a recap of the Book of Amos, chapter one, verse two. The Lord roars from Zion. So, this is how the story begins. God is depicted as a lion who is roaring, ready to devour, and ready to pounce. Yes, chapter 1. Get to chapter 2. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So you're like, okay, God's, God's real mad. Apparently, he's real mad at his people. Get to chapter 3. Um, they do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. You're like, okay, I got it. You know, God's mad at his people. They can't do anything right. We stink. Got it? Okay, but we're only in chapter 3, so we still got, we still got, you know, six more chapters, right? And hopefully everything's going to get better. That's what's going to happen. You get to chapter 4. God calls his people the cows of Bashan. And we talked about this. We said what God is calling his people is overindulgent fat cows. So he's calling them, which we're like, that's not super endearing, right? But we're only in chapter 4. Things are going to get better, certainly, right? Then you get to chapter 5. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins, Chapter 6, woe to you who are complacent in Zion. God says, you're complacent. And now all of a sudden you're like, we're in chapter 6. There's three more chapters left. Something clearly has to start changing. Where's the hope? Then you get to chapter 7. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people. I will spare them no longer. Get to chapter 8. Then the Lord said to me, the time is right for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. And now you're starting to get panicked because you're like, the book's almost done. There's only one chapter left, and then you get to chapter 9, and I can summarize for you what chapter 9 says in verse 8. Here's what it says. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. And then that's the end of the book. And you're like, really? That's it? What what am I supposed to do with this, right? You're like, that was a really encouraging book to read. I'm glad I read that. Thanks for the hope and optimism, Pastor Tony. Like, it's great. Glad we did a nine-week series on that, right? And we can feel that way walking from the book of Amos. But here's what you need to remember, and here's what's so important. You need to understand that the book of Amos is not the whole story in itself. The book of Amos is only a piece of a bigger story, of a broader story that God is trying to tell. And what is the purpose of the book of Amos? Well, you have to understand this. The purpose of the book of Amos is, first off, that it's trying to help us understand the depths, the immensity of the depth of our sin. Right? The immeasurable depth of our sin. And my guess is, like I said, if you've been with us in this series, you have felt this. Week after week, you have felt this. So week one, we, we talked about, man, you know, the ways we drift from God. And you're probably like, yeah, man, I drift from God too. Week two, we're like, here, here's one of the ways that we drift from God right here, man, is we, you know, blessing blockage. And you're probably like, oh, yeah, I'm I, so convicted. I, I do that sometimes too. I need to work on that. Week three, we talk about another way we drift. You're, like, you're probably like, oh, yeah. Every week, you're probably like, oh, 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 and just beat down, beat down, beat down, right? And why is that? Because what Amos is trying to do is he's trying to help us understand sin is more serious than we think. It runs deeper than we know. But listen, that's not the only thing that the book of Amos is trying to do, thank God. The book of Amos is trying to reveal to us, for sure, the depths of our sin, but here's the second thing you need to know. The book of Amos is equally revealing to us the staggering heights of God's holiness, Okay, so the the book of Amos is doing two things at the same time. It's helping expose to us the immeasurable depths of our sin. Man, we all drift from God, and we drift far, and sometimes we drift in ways we're not even aware. But at the same time, it's also revealing to us the staggering heights of God's holiness. If I could draw it for you, I would say it probably looks something like this. Here's what Amos is trying to do. Amos is trying to help us understand the incredible distance between God's staggering heights of holiness and the depths of my sin. Now, of course, um, holiness, by the way, uh, if you're not a church person or even if you are a church person, you're probably familiar with the word holy, but you might not know what it means. And and what the word holy means, by the way, is it literally means set apart. Um, It's this idea of uh, being perfect. And so the Bible says that God is holy. And what that means is God is set apart. In other words, he's not like us. God's not like us at all. He's not motivated like we are. He's perfect in every way. He doesn't have mixed motives. You and I change. So one day we might wake up and we're excited and passionate about life, and the next day we wake up and we might be depressed and sad, and the next day we wake up and we're energetic and excited, and one day we're faithful and one day we're unfaithful. God doesn't change. He's the same all the time, all the time, consistent, right? He's holy. He's perfect. And the Bible says this, that God, because he is holy, and listen, infinitely holy, that he cannot coexist with unholiness or imperfection. God, who is perfect and without sin, cannot coexist with sin. And so one of the things that we've been really uncomfortable with in the book of Amos is we've seen God's wrath and we've seen God's anger against human sin. That God is not apathetic towards human sin. God is not like passive, not like, well, you know, it's okay if you're a sinner. No, he's like, I, I am... His holiness says, man, I can't tolerate sin. And we see that all throughout the book. of Again, it makes us uncomfortable. But what you see are these two things, that that the book of Amos is revealing to us the immeasurable depths of our sin. At the same time, it's explaining to us the staggering heights of God's holiness. And what Amos is trying to do is he's trying to help us get a picture of what the true reality of our situation is. Just like when I was in Alaska, I did not realize the staggering heights and the staggering depths of all that I was experiencing. And and when I finally realized it, it created a sense of awe and fear and reverence inside of me. And Amos is trying to do the same thing. He's trying to help us recognize that sin is deeper than we know. God is holier than we think. Now, here's the problem with this, though. The problem is that sometimes we can look at this and we can draw the wrong conclusion. And so, so here's what I mean. It's possible for us, after going through the book of Amos, to read about, yeah, man, we, we are sinful people, and we drift from God, and, man, the, the, the depths of my sin are just, you know, immeasurable. It's, 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 we, could, we could easily look and say, God is so holy, and he can't tolerate sin, and this is the conclusion we can draw. We can say, well, I guess the point of Amos is that I just need to do better just need to do better. I need to go home this week. I need to grit my teeth a little harder. I need to put in some more elbow grease. I need to try harder. I need to work harder. And maybe if I can just do those things, then I can return to where God wants me to be. Then I can be acceptable to God. And it's easy for us to draw that conclusion. And listen, let me just say this, that yes, on one hand, when we read the book of Amos, it should challenge us and it should make us wanna make some changes in our life to be more like God, to, to reflect his heart. But I need to tell you that, that just improving ourselves and trying harder, that is not the hope that Amos is trying to point us to, right? And what is the hope that Amos is trying to point us to? Well, here's the good news. And I think at this point, by the way, I don't know about you, but I could use some good news. In the book of Amos, I could use some good news. And this, that, that's what I wanna to point to the third thing that that the book of Amos is doing. It's this. Amos is exposing the immeasurable depths of our sin. Amos is revealing the staggering heights of God's holiness. This is what's so important. And Amos is pointing us to our need for the unfathomable grace of God. See, this is where Amos is gonna end. It's gonna say all of this points to the fact that we desperately, desperately, desperately need a savior. We desperately, desperately, desperately need someone. We need the grace of God that is unfathomable in its size, right? I want you to notice how Amos concludes the book. I told you that the whole book is kind of like a downward descent from chapter 1 to chapter 9. It's not until the very last five verses of the book of Amos that it changes tone. And I want you to notice the last five verses. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, take a look at verse 11. Here's where all of a sudden it all changes. The whole book is like... Big bummer, big bummer, you stink, you suck. It's just down, 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 down. But then finally you get to chapter nine and then you get to verse 11 and here's what Amos says. In that day, in which you would say, what day? What day? We don't know, we don't know. He just says, there's gonna be a day. Here's how Amos ends his book. There's gonna be a day, okay? Well, tell me about that. I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and I'll restore its ruins. I'll rebuild it as it used to be. Let me just pause there for a minute. When the Bible says, when, when God says, I am going to rebuild David's fallen shelter, what is he talking about there? Well, some of you might know, David was actually a very popular king in Israel in the past. And, and he was a king that was a man after God's own heart. And God made a promise to David in the Old Testament. Uh, some people call it the Davidic covenant, It's what they call that. And what God basically said to David was he said this. He said, I promise you that one day out of your lineage is going to come a king who's going to sit on the throne and he'll be the king forever. It's a promise that God made to David. And so when God says, one day I'm going to restore David's fallen shelter, what he's saying is, I'm going to make good on the promise that I made to you. He says, I'm going to rebuild things as they used to be. Verse 12, so they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. And look at this, verse 13, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and it'll flow from the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. What's he talking about here? He's actually giving a picture of a very bright and hopeful, optimistic future to his people. He says there's going to be a day when there's going to be such incredible blessing that you're not even going to be able to keep up with it. In fact, I want you to notice what Amos says. He says, there's going to be a day when the reaper will overtake the plowman and the planter, the one treading grapes. What's that mean? We've got to remember, a- Amos was, a, he was a, a sycamore fig tree farmer and a shepherd, so he thinks in agricultural terms, right? So what's the picture? Here's the picture. One guy is planting seed, and, and meanwhile, the guy who's reaping the harvest from those plants is right on his heels. He says he's going to overtake him. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of unbelievable blessing. But the blessings of God are going to come so fast that one is going to be on the heel of the next and you're not going to be able to keep up with it. This is an incredibly optimistic picture. Then look what he says in the next part. He says, they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They'll plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens. They'll eat fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that he has given them, says the Lord your God. And with those five verses, the book of Amos is over. The end. The end. That's it. Uh, Here's what I want you to notice, though. I want you to notice how Amos concludes his book, okay? Amos says, man, the depths of your sin are deeper than you can imagine. The heights of God's holiness are higher than you can fathom. But notice how he concludes. He doesn't conclude by saying, God's holy and you're not, so therefore God's going to kill you. The end. That's not how the book goes. Nor does God say, I'm holy and you're sinful, so work harder and then maybe you can eventually get up to where I am. He doesn't say that. Do you notice what God says at the end? I want you to notice how many times God says that he is the one who's going to do this thing. God says in those days, I will restore, verse 11. He says, I will repair. I will rebuild. The Lord will do these things in verse 12. I'm gonna bring my people back what God says I'm gonna plant Israel in their own land what is God saying here's what he says he says there's gonna be a day that's gonna come I recognize the sin of my people I recognize my holiness he says there's gonna be a day that's gonna come though and I'm gonna fix it I'm gonna be the one who comes I'm gonna restore them I'm gonna provide a way I'm gonna repair their brokenness I'm gonna bring them back to a place of wholeness I'm gonna bring my people back to the place that I've called them and I desire them to be. Now, here's the question. When does God do this? When did God work on our behalf? When did God roll up his sleeves and enter into the human dilemma and take on our problem and take on our sin and offer a way for there to be forgiveness and reconciliation and connection to God to rebuild. And when did, when did that happen? That's talking about Jesus. That's what that's talking about. And I know for some of you, you might be thinking, that seems like it's a bit of a stretch to interpret that passage that way. But I'm just telling you, that's not even how I interpret that passage. That's how the Bible interprets that passage. Did you know that James, the disciple of Jesus and the brother of Jesus, he actually quotes Amos chapter 9, the very passage we just read. He quotes it in Acts 15. And James says this. He says, this passage in the book of Amos, it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ Jesus is the one who's gonna come and rebuild and bring, bring this hope and this restoration to his people. That's what, Amos, that's what James says about Amos. And So what is Amos pointing us to? It's pointing us to three things, to, to, to a deepening understanding of the immeasurable depth of our sin, to the staggering heights of God's holiness, but that's intended to lead us to the fact that, man, we need a savior. We need an immeasurable grace from God that's gonna forgive those things for us. It's, uh, it's interesting. I was, um, I, was, I was reading a really fascinating book called, uh, I think it's called The Gospel Driven Life. I think that's the name of it. It's by a guy named Robert Thune. And he said something I thought was really, really helpful. And, and basically, he was trying to explain what the essence of the Christian life is all about. And I love what he said. In fact, I'll I'll draw it for you here on the screen. But um, in fact, if if you're a person that's just investigating Jesus, if you're not a Christian and you're trying to figure all that out, I think this might be really helpful for you because this might help you understand what the core essence of Christianity really is all about. So hopefully you'll find this helpful. But what Robert Thune says is he says, as you go through life, he said, when a person becomes a Christian the moment they decide to follow Jesus and embrace the message of Christianity, he said what happens is they become aware of two realities at the same time. And the two realities that a person who follows Jesus becomes aware of is God's holiness and their sinfulness. Okay, that, that's the first recognition a person has to come to before they become a Christian. And when they recognize God's holiness, God is perfect, God is awesome, I'm a sinner, I can't live up to his standard, That points to the need for grace, points to the need for the cross. I need Jesus. And when a person embraces the cross, that's when they become a Christian, when they recognize that. Now, here's what he goes on to say, because I think this is so important. He says that a lot of times we actually view this as the beginning of Christianity. And then after that, he says, unfortunately, a lot of times what we do is we say, well, okay, now I'm forgiven and God has forgiven me. Now, the rest of my Christian life is about me being a better person. So I just need to work harder and try more and just be better because I've been forgiven. Now I just need to keep going. But what he says I thought was so good was he said, no, he said, actually, the Christian life looks more like this. He said that the longer a person follows Jesus, there should be three things that are happening all the time. And one is the longer a person follows Jesus, there should be an increasing measure of growth in that person's recognition of God's holiness. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I should recognize, man, God is holy. Wow, God is holy. And that, that should continue to grow. My perspective of that reality should continue to grow. At the same time, what should be happening is I should be growing in awareness of my sin. Man, I, I, I am messed up. Wow, I'm even more messed up than I thought I was. Now, it's not that the longer I follow Jesus, God becomes more holy and I become more sinful. It's just that my awareness of those two realities should grow. And as those two realities grow, by necessity, what happens? My recognition of my need for the cross grows. See, the, the cross looms larger in my life. The, longer I rec- the, the more I recognize the depths of my sin and the heights of God's grace, the bigger I realize God's grace really is to me. The bigger I realize the cross is to me. So I know that might sound a little abstract, so let me, let me kind of give you an example of this. So, I know I can't speak for everyone in this room, but I can speak for myself. So I've been following Jesus now. I've been a Christian for, it's been uh, almost 20 years. It's kind of crazy to think about that. And I can just tell you that when I think back to my walk with God and my interaction in following Jesus, I can just tell you that I can really relate to this. To this. That, that as I continue following Jesus, that there is a stronger recognition of God's perfection and holiness in my life today than when I first started following Jesus. And in a weird way, there's a recognition of my sin. I, I believe that today I, I am more messed up now, or at least I realize I am more messed up now than I thought I was the day that I first gave my life to Christ. Does that, does that mean that I am more messed up? No, it just means that I'm starting to understand that the depths of my sin go deeper than I even know. And so here's an example. When I first started following Jesus, I had a bunch of really bad and overtly sinful habits, right? A lot of stuff that carried over from when I didn't follow Jesus. And I remember when I started following Jesus, it would break my heart because I kept falling back into these sinful patterns that I had previous, right? And so there was these patterns of anger and pride and lust and all of this, this crap that would come with me. And I remember I would sin and I would fall and I would, I would act in ways that were blatantly against what God wanted me to, to do. And I remember I'd be broken hearted. And I would go to God and I'd be like, God, I just, I need you so bad. I need your grace. I can't do this. The good things I want to do, I feel like I can't do them. And I need your grace for the times that I fail. Now, here's the crazy thing. I've been following Jesus for almost 20 years now. And the crazy thing is, is that in a lot of those habits, I found it a lot of victory God has given me a lot of victory in a lot of those areas not perfectly I still struggle in the very same things I just mentioned to you I still struggle in those things but I found a lot of victory in those things but here's the crazy thing that today I, I think that there is a deeper awareness of my sin that I don't only simply feel the need to ask God to forgive me for my overtly disobedient behaviors to him I also feel the need to ask for God's forgiveness for the good things that I do. And here, here, here's what I mean by that. I have found that now, even when I try to do something good, an act of altruism, an act of goodwill, that in itself is loaded with all kinds of complexity and insecurity and pride and, and self-righteousness, right? And so, so here, here would be an example. Um, one of the things that I, I get to do uh, on, a, on a very regular basis, as you guys know, is I have the great honor and privilege to, to come up here and to present and to teach the Bible. And, and I would say that's probably a good thing to do. Right? It's probably a good thing to teach the Bible. It's definitely better than killing somebody. Right? It's probably better than rooting for Penn State, definitely. right? And, and, um, and so you might look and say, well, that's a good thing you're doing. That's a good thing. right? But here's the thing. When I get up here week after week, or however often I'm up here, I'll just be real honest with you. At any given time, there are two things that are happening in my heart. All right, and here's one thing. One of the things that's happening in my heart, it's even happening right now, that's happening in my heart, is that I desperately want you to know and love and follow Jesus. I do. I I want you to know what God's word says, I want you to love Jesus, I want you to take it seriously. I want you to actually realize that Jesus matters in your life. Like, that's happening in my heart. I want that for you. And I want to I do a good job. I want to be used by God. I want to serve you. That's a part of my heart. But I'll tell you this, and, and this is no surprise to any of you, especially if you know me. There's another part of my heart, though. And here's the other part of my heart. And this happens simultaneously with the other part. And the other part of my heart is this. I want you to like me. I want to impress you. I want you to think I'm smart. I don't know why that's funny, right? You're like, (laughs) not happening, man, right? I'll just be honest with you, and I I hate to say this, but it's just true. Just being completely honest with you guys. Sometimes I like to hear my name more than I like to hear Jesus' name. Is that a good thing? No, I'm beginning to realize I'm more messed up than I think I am. And the depths of my sin and the depths of my insecurity and the depths of my pride and my ego run deeper than I even think. That I don't just simply need Jesus to die for my bad works. I actually need Jesus to die for my good works because they're full of, my, now, now where does that lead me? It leads me to a place, not where I just say, well, geez, I can never get it right. I can, it leads me to a place where I say, man, thank you, Christ. Thank you. I need a bigger cross. I need a bigger grace and I'm so thankful that as I recognize the depths of my sin that is deeper than I can imagine and I imagine the heights of your holiness that the cross looms larger in my life. I need you and that that is exactly what Amos is trying to help us do. Recognize our need for a savior. My guess is if you're a person that's followed Jesus here longer than I have, my guess is you probably say, oh yeah and it just keeps going man. Just you wait. You're going to come and find out that that just continues to go and go and go, that you grow in the awareness of your sin and your holiness. You guys, this is why I think it's so important that we actually read books like Amos. Why is it important that we would actually go through such a challenging book? Why is it important that we would allow God to stretch our view of our sin and his holiness? Here's why. The reason is because when we don't allow those things to be stretched and expanded, we actually minimize God's grace in our life. Right? When I don't grow in my understanding of sin and I don't allow that to happen, when I just sit comfortably in my, just the understanding I have that you know whatever, if I don't grow in God's holiness, I actually minimize God's grace in my life. So let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, my guess is, if I, if I asked you today, if I said, "Hey, are you an imperfect person in this room? Are you a sinful person?" My guess is, probably 100 percent of the people in this room would agree with that statement. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, my guess is you'd say, yeah, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm, a, I'm a, a sinner, if that's what you want to call it. Sure, I'm a sinful person. But here's the thing. I think if I asked some of you, if I said, are you a sinful person, you might say this. You might say, yeah, I'm sinful, and, and yeah, I'm imperfect. But come on, man, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. And I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not, I'm not perfect. No, no, I'm not per- no one's perfect. But I'm not that bad. Right, I mean, I go to church, I'm here, right, that, that says something. I'm an, upsa- I'm an upstanding citizen, I give, right? I'm a pretty good person, I don't do any, I've never killed anyone, I've never done any of the really big sins, right, I've never murdered anyone, I don't own a cat, right, I've never done anything real evil, like that. right, and, and, and you might say that, but listen, when you do that, what are you doing? You are minimizing your sin, and you're actually minimizing God's grace. What you're saying is, I don't actually need a big cross. Other people, man, they need a big cross. Like that. that my, one, my sister-in-law, she needs a giant cross. My cross, this big. I only need this one, right? You guys remember what Jesus said? And I think it was Luke 18. He gave that incredible parable. He said there was two men that were praying. One was a Pharisee. He was a religious dude, had his, had his outward life together. The other guy was a tax collector, a sinner. He says, both of them are praying. Do you guys remember the Pharisees' prayer? Here was the Pharisees' prayer. God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. You remember the tax collector's prayer? God, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your mercy. Would you show mercy to me, please, God? And Jesus said, which one went home justified before God? The sinner went home justified by God. The tax collector, why? Because he recognized his reality. So the Pharisee was like, I'm not that bad. I don't really need the cross all that much. I don't really need grace because I'm actually a pretty good guy. And Jesus was like, nope, you don't get it. You don't understand the need for the cross. What we can do inadvertently sometimes is we can minimize God's holiness. We can minimize God's holiness. We can make God in our image. And we can say, God, yeah, he's not that serious about sin yeah, I mean, I mess up. I'm imperfect. But come on, man. God understands, right? God's kind of that hippie, bohemian type of God, where He's just like free love for everyone, and hey, I'm cool. Whatever you want to do is fine, man. I forgive you. Boys will be boys. I get it. I accept you no matter what. I just love everything all the time. Free grace for everyone. And we cheapen God's holiness because listen, God is not apathetic about sin. Amos is very clear on that. He's not. He's serious about sin. And his grace is not it's not free grace for everyone. No, no, no. It's costly grace. Costly. And when we cheapen God's grace, we we, we make the cross small in our lives so why do we come back to the book of amos why do we read books like amos that stretch our view of our sin and god's holiness here's why because amos is trying to reveal to us our need for the immeasurable grace of god the unfathomable grace of god it points us to our need for a savior if you get to the book of amos and your thought is man i need to work harder I think you may maybe have misunderstood the book of Amos. If you get to the end of the book of Amos and you think, man, I need a savior, I think Amos would say, yes, and amen, and that is exactly the point of the book of Amos. It's interesting, I was, um, when I was thinking about this whole talk this week, I could not help but think of one of my favorite movies of all time. I love the movie. Um, Remember the Titans? You guys ever seen that movie before? It's a good movie, football movie. It came out, uh, I think, in the year 2000. I was actually in college when that movie came out. And, man, you talk about a good story arc. That's, like, one of the best stories told. And I love the amount of, um, of adversity that that team had to overcome. And you think about the racial adversity. You think about the team dynamics. And then there's that plot twist when they give Coach Boone the ultimatum that if he doesn't win another game that he's going to lose his job. I just love that whole movie. It's really, really fantastic. And I remember the first time I watched it, I was watching it with a group of guys um, from, my, from my, uh, the, my floor in college. And so we were, we were all gathered around the TV. We were watching it for the first time. And, man, you know that movie. Like, it is an emotional roller coaster to go through that whole thing. And so finally it got to the last game. You guys remember the last game when the Titans were, were playing at State? And they were going to go to try to win state, and they were down. Uh, and they ended up coming back after the fumble, and they won the game. And it was just like that epic, one of the most electric scenes in a movie. And I remember we were watching this scene, and me and a bunch of guys, you know, we'd watched the whole movie. And a friend of ours walked in the room, and he hadn't seen the movie before, and he just walked in for that last game. And he had a, I remember he had a cup of coffee, and he just, he walked in the room, and we're all like glued to the TV, you know? And he walked in, he had this cup of coffee in his hand, and he's like, what you guys doing? And we're like, shh, dude, we're like, we're watching this movie. It's really good. It's a really good movie. You should watch it. And he's like, huh. And he, like, sits there for a second. We're all, like, glued to the TV, like, really involved in this movie. And he goes, uh, he goes hmm, some kind of football movie or something? And we're like, yes, would you be quiet, please? We're trying to watch this, this scene. It's really good. And he's like, Huh. And then Denzel Washington comes on the screen. He's like, oh, Denzel Washington, I love this guy. And we're like, would you shut up? (laughs) We're like, trying to watch the movie, man. And this is a really important scene in the movie. And so eventually he's like, fine, geez. You know, and he just kind of sits there. He watches the whole game and they win the game. And it's one of the greatest scenes and everyone's going crazy. And of course, all the guys who had watched the whole movie are going crazy. And the guy with the cup of coffee, this is what he does, man. He, He goes like this. He goes, huh. He goes, they won the game. Didn't see that coming. And he walked out. And you know what I thought after he walked out of the room? I thought, I hate that guy. I hate him. <laughs> no, but here's what I thought. I, I, I thought, he doesn't understand what he's talking about. Like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because I remember I thought, I was like, he wasn't there. He wasn't there when we overcame all of that adversity at boot camp. Like I, like I was there, you know? I was like, he wasn't there when we had to go through that. He was not there when the left side, strong side breakthrough happened at training camp. He wasn't there when we had to come back to school and overcome all of the racial tension that existed. He wasn't there when we fought through all of the games. Like, he wasn't there. He doesn't understand. And I remember I thought, he needs to go back and watch the movie, and then he'll get it. I said, here's why I tell you that. A lot of times, unfortunately, what we do is we race to the New Testament. We race to the story of Jesus. We read about the cross. We read about his grace. And you know what we do? We say this. We go, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. Mm Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know. And I just want to say, you don't know what you're talking about. Man, if you, if you haven't been through, if you didn't go through the whole story, if you have not seen books in the Old Testament like Amos that show the depths of our sin and the heights of God's holiness, then when you get to the cross, if you, if you skip all of that and you just go right to Jesus, you have a small view of who he is and of who you are. And, and man, I'm just telling you, when you if, I, if I say, Jesus died for your sin, and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, I know, that's nice. You don't know what you're talking about. Jesus died for our sin. Our sin. Holy God died for our sin. And when you read books like Amos and through the Old Testament, man, you start to see the the angst and the anticipation and the, the constant need. The whole Old Testament is saying, man, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And then finally, after this whole thing, you get here and Jesus shows up. And he's here. And people are like, yeah, Jesus died for my sin. You don't understand. The reason, the reason we need to go back to books like Amos is because we need to recognize the depths of our sin, the heights of God's holiness, and the immensity of grace. And when you begin to understand that, that will transform you. That will change you. And God will use that to mold you into the person that he wants you to be. If you have a small view of grace you're going to show a small grace to others. If you have a small view of grace, you're not going to be able to see the complexities of of relationships, of your fallen nature in your marriage and in your relationships. You'll never find healing in those places. It's only when you recognize the immensity of grace that it will work itself in you and work itself through you. And listen, when that happens, God will rebuild you. God will reestablish you. He will fight for you when you put your hope in Christ. So here's my hope, walking away from the book of Amos. My hope is three things would happen in your heart and in your life. My hope is that the first one is that you would grow in your understanding of the immeasurable depth of your sin. That you would recognize that, man, I'm more messed up than I think I am. And Amos is pretty helpful to show me that. It's not always comfortable. My hope is that you would recognize the heights of God's holiness, how staggering it is. My hope is it wouldn't stop there. My hope is it would point you to the need for a savior, for the cross, that the the cross would loom larger in your life as a result of the book of Amos. My hope is that you would go back to the book of Amos and that you go back to it often. You would let it stretch you. You would allow it to make you feel uncomfortable. So that God's grace could be shown to you in those ways. That's the band to come up. And um, as they settle in, I just I want to end with just a actually kind of an invitation and I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't offer to you. If you're a person that is investigating Jesus, or maybe maybe even grew up in the church, but for you, Christianity has really just always been about modifying your behavior and trying harder and just trying to get your act together for God. And maybe honestly, for the first time today, it's making sense to you that what Christianity is all about is actually about the grace of God to you. Listen, for some of you, you need to hear this: you cannot outrun God's grace. And some of you are in a place right now where you're experiencing brokenness in your life. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far, that you're unforgivable by God. And so I'm just here to tell you, you don't need to get your act together to then make yourself presentable to God. That's not how it works. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ has come to you and he's offered you a grace that, that is deeper and wider and larger than you could ever imagine. And when you embrace that grace, it's available to you. And God will fight for you. And God will redeem you. And he'll bring, he'll bring the broken things back together. And so if you've never embraced the cross, if you've never embraced Christ, maybe today for the first time you want to do that. And you can do that. And you don't, there's not like some kind of secret magical prayer you pray. There's not a seance you have to do. It's just between your heart and God's heart. You just talk to him. And you can just tell him, God, I need you. I need your grace. And I, I need your forgiveness. I need the cross. I'm a sinner and you are holy and there's no way I can ever work myself to you. And so, God, I need you. God, I've tried to define and direct my own life, and it's led me nowhere great. And so I pray that you come in and that you would do those things. And you could talk to God, and you can ask him to do that. And I'd encourage you to do that, because that's a grace that's available to you. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you for, um, thanks for the book of Amos. It's a, it's, a, it's a wake-up call. It's not the easiest of books to read, but it's powerful and it's effective. And God, I'm glad that you have preserved this book for us, that in your grace that you've that you've kept this incredible book, the book of Amos, that you would reveal in our hearts the uh, immeasurable depth of our sin, the staggering heights of your holiness. And in so doing, it would point us to our need for an unfathomable grace. Thank you for your grace. Your grace is bigger than we can imagine. It goes beyond what we can ever dream or hope God and I'm really thankful that you've provided that for us because the truth is if it was up to us to try to make ourselves like you we would we would just be we would be hopeless Uh, but you've given us incredible grace so help us to walk in that God I pray even for the person today maybe who for the first time has latched on to this uh, this 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 uh this key important understanding of the gospel I pray that you'd help them to trust you to put their hope and their faith in you God and God, we believe you're our only hope. And we put our faith in you, we put our trust and our hope in you that you'll transform us and you'll make us the people that you want us to be. So God, I pray that now as we're kind of ending the book of Amos, I pray that we'd be blessed for having read this book and gone through it. And I pray that we'd be changed as a result of it. And God, that you would, uh, the cross would loom larger in our lives um, and uh, as a result of what you've, you've showed us today. I just wanna ask these things in Christ's name.